Thank you for listening to Southside Baptist Church's podcast. If you would like to know more about us, please visit us online at southsidesbc.org. Again, that's southsidesbc.org. Additionally, if this podcast has been an encouragement to you, or if you would like to know more about Jesus and why we serve him, please email us at info at southsidesbc.org. Thank you for listening. Please open your Bibles to the 2 Kings chapter 5. I can't see my nose now. <laughs> That's, that'll just make a longer sermon because I'll just keep repeating myself. <laughs> well, by now, even Baptists should have found 2 Kings 5. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God our Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand pieces of gold, and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass. When the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man does seek me to have a quarrel with me? Wherefore consider I, pray ye, and see ye that see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it came to pass. Uh, and, and it was so that when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, wherefore he, has, uh, he let him said, Now come unto me, and ye shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his um, horses and with his chariots, and stood at the door of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go to go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come unto thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out, 
and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper? Are not Abana and Parfer, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage, and his servants came near. And spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then when he said to thee, Wash and be clean. Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like that, the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. One commentator has commented on this story. And in doing so, what he has done, he has made and uh, in, in bringing uh, this to our attention, he has said he has made a comparison between a physical disease of leprosy and the spiritual disease of sin. And he points out that in this there is a parallel that we should not miss. Leprosy was the most dreaded disease in those days in biblical times. It had the same effect that the word cancer in our society has today. The thing about it is, is that we know more about cancer and we have better equipment and we have better medicines and things that help fight cancer and sometimes we see cancer go into remission and the person's life is saved. But with leprosy it was rare that anybody ever came out of leprosy alive. It just didn't happen. And so we find in this story here a man that if it hadn't been for this story, these two chapters, we would have never heard of him. His name was Naaman. He was a great warrior, a tremendous person. And every place he went into battle, he came out victorious. And as a result of that, his name had become a household name in that entire region. Everybody had heard of Naaman. Everybody knew that this was one of the greatest warriors that you'd ever seen or heard of. And so Naaman is told, and if you look back at verse 1 again, now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria, and he also was a mighty man of valor. Wow, what credentials. I mean, what else could be said about this man? All the accolades that, that you would think about a, a, a person uh, renowned and known around the world was true of Naaman. 
except for one thing. There is one little three-letter word in verse 1 that negates everything else that is said. Notice it talks about Naaman, that he was a captain of the host of the king of Syria. He was a great man with his master, honorable. Because of him, the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. And that changed everything. All of a sudden, all of this great buildup that was just red meant nothing. And isn't that still true today, though, that sometimes we find that uh, the things when we were younger that we really strove after and were so important to us and we just had to have them, as we get older, all of a sudden things shift a little bit. And the next thing we know, we're seeing our doctor more often than we used to. <laughs> and as a result of that, we begin to realize that what we thought was so important earlier in life, all of a sudden, you would give all of that away just to have good health. And that was Naaman. Naaman would gladly have given everything, all of his wealth, all of his prestige, all of his, uh, all these accolades we just heard. He would have gladly given all of that away just to get rid of this disease called leprosy. The reason the commentator compared leprosy and sin, as I told you earlier, was the fact there are some ways they were very similar. Both starts out very insignificant. I'm sure when Naaman first came down with leprosy, he may have looked at himself and thought, well, just a little discoloration of the pigment of the skin, nothing to worry about. And then all of a sudden, a while later, he's looking, and it looks like it's eating away. I don't remember seeing this whelp-looking thing on me before. And he waits a little bit longer, and it is spreading to other parts of his body. And isn't that the way sin works in our, in our life? It starts out so insignificantly. It's something we can handle. We don't have to worry about it. Until all of a sudden, it rules us. It controls our lives. It controls everything we want in life. There's three things I want us to notice this morning about Naaman. First of all, Naaman was a rational man. How do I know that? Well, it says that he was a mighty man of valor. 
And every time he went in the battle, he came out the conqueror. And you know, back in those days, war was played a little differently than it is today. Today you get a paycheck. I remember when I was in the Navy, I got a paycheck every month, but you know what? I never got rich on it. But I did get paid. But back then you didn't. But when you were victorious, the, as the army came into the city or the area that they had just conquered, the general would, anything he saw, including a person, whatever, he could take, that was his. And then the next highest ranking officer would come in, and he would take anything he saw that he wanted. And then the next, until finally the buck private came in, and what was left is what he got. So you can imagine, Naaman must have had a wardrobe of oriental robes that would knock your eyeballs out. And he could have decked himself out either in his military uniform or in one of these fancy oriental robes and he could have hidden the leprosy but if he had done that it would have killed him for sure much quicker and so he let it be known that I have leprosy and can anybody help me well Someone went to him one day and said, you know, that little uh, maid from Israel that you bought back after defeating Israel, she said to your wife, if you would go back to Samaria and would see the prophet uh, Elisha, he can cure him of his leprosy because he has done it before. And again, just to show how rational Naaman was, he got his army together and he was on his way to Israel to see the prophet Elisha. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with your were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Now, why in the world would Naaman listen to that? Didn't he conquer? And didn't he bring her back as a slave to his wife? Now, why in the world would she then want to help this man out? Well, again, it tells us a little bit about Naaman and his wife, they must have treated her very well for her to want to see Naaman healed. I mean, if, if someone had drugged you out from where you lived and made a slave out of you, would you want to help them in anything? Not even to go and just help a Christian. And so... Naaman takes her advice, 
takes his men, they go to Samaria, and they come to the tent of Elisha. And so Elisha doesn't even bother to go out and talk to Naaman, this great man of valor. He sends his servant to talk to him, and his servant said to Naaman, what you need to do is go down to the Jordan River and dip yourself seven times in the river and you will experience cleansing. Well, you would have thought Naaman was any lady. Hey, man, we're not far from the Jordan. We can knock that out real good and be on our way back home and I'll be cured of leprosy. This is wonderful. But Naaman got mad. Well, he didn't even come out to see me. He didn't come out to talk to me face to face, man to man. He sent his servant out to tell me what to do, and it didn't make any sense. Are not Abana and Parfer rivers of Damascus cleaner than any Jordan River? Couldn't I have one washed back there and be clean to come all this way? And one of his men came up to him and said, Master, if he had bid you do some great thing, perform some great feat, would you not have done it? Why, you would have jumped on that easily. All he said was, go to the Jordan, dip yourself seven times in the Jordan, you'll be okay. What have you got to lose? You have come this far. Why are you hesitating? And so Naaman, with his men, head to the Jordan. Well, I grew up just a few miles from the Mississippi. And I can guarantee you if there is a muddier dirtier river than the Mississippi. I'm from Missouri and you're at the shore. I don't buy it. And I can just imagine if at the end of World War II, if uh, Douglas MacArthur or if Eisenhower had returned to the States with some disease, maybe even leprosy, and someone had said to them, well, the way to get rid of it is go over here to the Mississippi and dip yourself a few times in that and everything will be fine. Well, I don't know if they would have done it or not. And can't you imagine Naaman, as he was on his way and word had gotten out, Naaman is in the area and so probably on both sides of the road, people were lined up going to see Naaman go to the Jordan River and dip himself seven times and be cured of all things leprosy. Doesn't make any sense at all. And I'm sure that if Naaman was on his way to the Jordan, he was thinking to himself, Buddy, this had better work. <laughs>
or there's going to be one less prophet in Samaria. And so Naaman goes to the Jordan and does what the prophet had told him to do. As I said, Naaman was a rational man because not only was he rational in letting people know what kind of a disease he had and can somebody help me get rid of it, but he was also rational in the fact that one of his men was able to talk him into, you've come this far, what have you got to lose, do what the prophet said, and he did. I heard about a little boy who, it was about this time of year, and they were having about this kind of weather. And so he got this bright idea of going into business for himself. And so he got some old uh, orange crates, wooden orange crates, and then he got a, a two by four uh, or a two by eight board that he put across that and made a stand out of it. And then he had two pitchers of lemonade and he had some cups there and he was selling it. Well, one of the businessmen of the community came by and he looked at the, the new businessman and his enterprise and he said to him, uh, well, son, how much is your lemonade? He said, well, the lemonade in this jar is 25 cents a cup. The one in this jar is two cups for 25 cents. Well, the businessman looks it over and they look the same. And so he says to the boy, he said, here's a quarter. Let me try this as two for a quarter. So the little boy poured him up a cup and gave it to him and he drank it and he said, you know, that's got a good flavor to it. That's very good lemonade. I commend you on that. He said, uh, let me try this other, the one glass or cup for a quarter. And so the little boy pours that up and the businessman drinks it he said, you know, that is just as good as the other. I don't understand. They both look the same. They, they both taste the same. How come one of them is, you're selling it for half the price of the other? Well, the little boy dropped his head and sort of shifted his weight on his feet. And finally he looked up and he said, well, sir, this is too for a quarter. My puppy fell in it when I was making it. <laughs> you know, I've got a hunch, and it's just a hunch, but I've got a hunch. If he had taken just a little drop from the pitcher that was two for a quarter and put it on a slide and put the slide underneath a microscope, and looked in, he would have probably saw some activity taking place in this one that he didn't in this other one. 
Well, you know, and that's not the way it is sometimes with us spiritually. We look authentic. We sound authentic. But it's all for show. And Haman goes to the Jordan, goes into the Jordan, and he dips himself under the water. And he comes up and he looks at himself. Well, nothing has changed except the muddy waters mixed in with everything. But the prophet didn't say one time. He said two, seven times. And so Naaman goes back into the Jordan, dips himself under the water the second time. Again, he comes up. He looks at himself, and guess what? Nothing has changed except for the muddy water. And he did that the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth time, and after six times, he comes up and he looks at himself and he sees no difference whatsoever. Well, now you would think that each time he dipped himself in the river and came up, he would look a little bit better. That gradually it would be gone, and then after he had dipped himself the seventh time, then it would be gone, and he would be cleansed. And so he goes back into the Jordan for the seventh time. And he comes out and he looks at himself and he can't believe what he sees. The leprosy is gone. There's no sign of it. You can't tell that he ever even had the disease. Wasn't it good for Naaman that he didn't stop after the sixth time and said, this isn't going to work, but I'm going to go back and see that prophet. But he dipped himself the seventh time. And as a result, he came up cleansed from leprosy. It says that uh, it says and his servant came near spake unto him my father if the prophet would do some great thing wouldst thou not have done it so why not go down and dip yourself and wash and be clean verse 14 then when he down and dipped himself according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again unto the, as the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Wow. It says here that when he came up and he looked at himself, he said that he had the flesh of a little child. Imagine that. Don't you just love to hold a baby? 
They are so cute, and their skin is just flawless, and it is so soft, and you wish, boy, I wish mine looked like that. And Naaman came out of the water, goes back to the prophet, and notice what he said. And he went down, dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God and all of his company. And he came and stood before him and said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Wow. Now let me tell you something. Syria, where Naaman came from, had plenty of God. It was a religious country. And if you didn't like the gods they had, you'd make one of your own. But they, they believed in God. Naaman comes back to the tent of Elisha, and he says unto him, he said, now I know, not I suspect, not maybe, but now I know there is no God in all the world but this God. I've got a feeling that Naaman went back home and was probably one of the greatest missionaries of his day. People would hear about Naaman. Hey, have you heard? Naaman went down to uh, Samaria, and this prophet told him to dip himself in the Jordan seven times, and he did, and you won't believe this, but he is clean from leprosy. There is not a trace of it anywhere. Wow. Isn't it amazing the way God works? This guy had to get leprosy before he met the Lord. Likewise, is it not, it is not this preacher nor Pastor Scott, if he were here, nor Pastor Mark, who's going to save you. Only the Lord himself can do that. And it isn't until we come to a place in our life where we realize that all of the effort on our part means absolutely nothing. It's not until we begin to see that God is a God who keeps his word. Back about 20, 25 years ago, 
there was a men's movement called Promise Keepers. I don't know what happened to that movement. It was a great movement. In fact, one of the men who got it going was the head football co coach at uh, Colorado uh, University. And some other well-known people uh, and preachers got involved. And they would have stadiums filled with men and boys at these events. I was pastoring at Bethel and Niles at the time, and we had about four or five guys that went to the uh, Silver Dome in Pontiac because they were having a Promise Keepers uh, meeting there, and it was packed. They had chairs on the playing field. It was packed. Uh, this, the bleachers were filled with men and boys, and it was so exciting. And as great an organization it was, and I like their name, Promise Keepers, but the thing that is so important is that God is the promise keeper. And he never goes back on his word, never. And when he says he will do something, he will do it. It is guaranteed when he says he'll do it. And when he says to us, if you'll come and you bring your load of sin and guilt to me, I will eradicate it. I won't just change it, but I will get rid of it once and for all. And so today, it's still the same. He is still saying to everybody, listen, let me help you by taking off that load of guilt, that load of sin, and dispersing it, he says he will take it and drop it into the ocean and you will see it and he will see it no more. I like what Corey Ten Boom said about that one day. He said, you know, the Lord said he will take your sins and he will drop them in the ocean and You'll see them no more. They're gone. And he says, not only that, but then he puts a sign up there and it says, no fishing. Isn't that true? I mean, when he eradicates our sins, eradicate means it just doesn't exist anymore. It's gone forever. And he doesn't let anybody come and fish in that area and try to dredge up all the sin and the guilt that was once pulling us down, down, down. It's not church membership that's going to save you. And church membership is important. I mean, it's, in fact, the church in Revelation is referred to as the bride of Christ. And how many novels have you read? How many movies have you seen 
about the uh, couple going to get married and something comes up and tries to disturb the situation and it just doesn't look like they're going to be able to get married. But somehow it works out. When God calls his church his bride, brother, there is not another word that he could have used that would make the church more attractive to him and more needed for us. And yet I hear people say, oh, the church, take it or leave it, you know. No, it's the bride. You're snubbing his bride when you do that. But even church membership doesn't save us. It's when we, like Naaman, discover that God is true to his word. He will do what he says he will do. And when he cleanses us, we're clean from then on, unless we sin again. And this morning, I'm going to give everybody here an opportunity. If you have never put your faith and your trust into Jesus Christ, now is the time to do it. Would you bow with me? Father, we come to you thanking you so very much for this man Naaman. But most of all, we thank you for Elisha, your prophet, who with no qualms whatsoever knew that you could cleanse Naaman and not only cleanse him from leprosy, but cleanse him from sin itself. And he can do the very same thing right now, right here, and he wants to. Lord, I pray that no one will leave here today who does not know you as their Lord and Savior. There is no better opportunity than right now to make that decision because it is the most important decision they can ever make. So we pray, Father, for an outpouring of your Spirit right now, right here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand and sing our hymn of invitation, I mentioned a moment ago in the closing,